Hey everyone, I'm Sarah James, a beauty blogger and self-help aficionado. And I'm Kristen Howerton, a writer and psychotherapist. And you are listening to Selfie, a weekly podcast about two women trying to tackle better self-care. We are both of the opinion that self-care is important, and yet we find it elusive. And while we may have all the info we need, we don't always get there. From the silly to the serious, we are taking a vulnerable yet humorous look at body, mind, and spirit and maybe a touch of the random, all while looking at the distractions and defenses that keep us from caring for ourselves like we should. Hey guys, well, I am here with Sarah James. We are going to do a quick self-care check-in before we get to our interview guest today. Sarah, how's your self-care going? Okay, well, I I think we need to just not talk about self-care today. I think we need to talk about something that you and I have been talking about offline. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm and scared. that is, uh, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to rake you over the coals. <laughs> um, no, no, this is, this is important stuff, people. This is important stuff. We need to talk about this new hair trend happening oh. of like frizzy hair Frizzier. and people perming their hair. Okay. Yes, we do what need is going to on? talk about this. We have been talking. Sarah and I feel very strongly what? about this, so much that we're throwing out even the <laughs> normal order of the show. Because, guys, this is a red alert um, situation. <laughs> it is which, a red alert. Which is, in case you guys have not noticed, the new hipster millennial hair trend is just super, super frizzy, like on-purpose frizzy. Like super frizzy, where you have that one inch layer of halo of frizz uh-huh. around uh-huh. your hair. Yep. And I can't look at one more photo. And there are people out there, there are influencers out there mm-hmm. that have beautiful hair. We're not naming names. We're not naming names. We would never do that. But that are like chopping their hair and perming, and there's, just it's just it looks it looks exactly what it would look like if you were stuck in the rain for an yes. hour and a half yes. and you came inside and then you took a nap yeah. and then you woke up this is I what mean, the hair looks like basically people that that look when courtney cox on friends went to florida <laughs> and then she had the humidity hair people are going for that look People are tr- making their hair look. Now, this is, I think, why we feel so strongly about this, <laughs> you and I, Kristen. Is why, that- why do we feel so strongly? <laughs> we feel so strongly about this because Kristen and I have the exact same hair texture we in do. that our natural hair is what everybody's striving for right now. Right. And, you know, maybe we should be like glass half full and think, wow, maybe we can just get out of the shower and just let our hair be and we'll be super cool. But that does not look good, people. No. 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 It doesn't look good. I'm sorry. I mean, I can be body positive, but hair positive, it's just no. <laughs> like, no, no. I'm going to keep <laughs> slathering my hair in silicone. I'm going to keep flat ironing it and putting pomade in it. I it just, just, I don't understand. It just doesn't, it doesn't look good. It looks messy. It looks unwashed. I had even told you this story. I, my boyfriend and I went to this super hipster bar the other night. And uh-huh. I kid you not, men and women alike in their 20s, very cool, very well dressed, looked like they had not washed their hair in a yeah. month. Yeah, it's it is a thing. It is definitely a thing. And you know, I think to myself, I remember, I remember on my blog 
over 10 years ago, writing this whole po- post about how I would never wear skinny jeans mm-hmm. or like oh, I legging. Too. I wrote like, the same I was like, post. I'm like, who are these people doing this? And so I am not, I, I'm going to say, I, I'm aware of that. I'm aware that I ended up wearing skinny jeans. Yes. And uh, maybe five years from now, I'll be walking around like I haven't brushed my hair in a month. But I'm just going to go ahead and say, I really don't think I'm going to succumb to this trend because it just does not look good. I know. I have thought I've thought the same thing. I have told myself the same thing about the skinny jeans, which side note, I'm going to link both of our anti-skinny jean articles up <laughs> in the show notes. Okay. Now I'm starting to wonder if it was leggings. I was I might have been talking about leggings. Well, I but which I definitely I can't remember. had a screed about skinny jeans and I was like boot cut forever. I think this yeah. was like 2004. <laughs> boot cut forever. Which now is coming back. I oh, mean, I know. Trends obviously cycle. There are things I never thought I would do, chunky highlights, and then I did it. Right, right, but, right. But I just think that this is objectively unflattering. It is unflattering. I have yet to see one person that I thought, okay, that looks that looks okay. That that looks good. It looks good on them. Yes. I get where they're going for. And then to top that off, there's a lot of hairstylists out there, and we won't name names on that either that are posting photos of, you know, clients and their hair looks horrible, just horrible. And the thing that I don't understand, okay, is to get that level of frizz at a hairstylist because they do Mm -hmm. a blowout. You know, you can't Mm -hmm. naturally, what what it looks like is if I naturally like just showered and walked out the door. So it's like that, you know, uneven curl, big frizz. But in order to attain that in a in a salon means that someone actually dried their hair and then right. put the frizz in. How do you put the frizz in if, you're, uh, if you know. use a blow dryer? I mean, how does that even I happen? I think they're well, like that teasing is it. Horrible. I mean, I just don't understand. And yeah, why? I mean, People are Why? giving themselves, like hipsters are giving themselves perms. Perms. Old not, school perms. Not like a wave perm, like, yes, like our high school Ogilvy yeah. perm, home perm. Do you know what we should do too? What? On the Facebook group, I let's post a photo of our best perm photo. Oh, do you, I'm because so I, in. my senior in high school photo is killer. killer. I used to give myself perms in my kitchen. What? That is super duper amazing. My, myself and my friends. Oh, every time I had a slumber party, I was like, who wants a perm? <laughs> <laughs> Which is so funny because I have to back up and say that our hair already pretty much looks permed when we let it dry on its own. So it was like, I'm just perming it to per- for the sake of perming it because you know I already have the weird. weirdest wave pattern. Back then, mine wasn't as bad. Oh, it wasn't. It's no. just gotten like more kinkyish. I feel like, like I had babies wavy. and my hair was like, watch this. Yo. Oh, yeah. You think I was messed up before. Check <laughs> totally. this out. Oh, you don't oh, like your body yes. now? Watch what I'm going to do up here. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, I just, I mean, I feel like I need to have, we need to have like a, a town hall on this because I, I need to know. We're just going to have to post know. about it on Facebook because I just, I feel are, like people are we, might. People might Crazy? not know what we're talking about. Who is a celebrity that you can think mm. of that's rocking this like frizz perm mm. deal? Oh my gosh. I've seen I can think of a Paltrow. lot of people in real I've life. Seen Gwyneth but... Paltrow do it. Well, you know what? I'm just going to go ahead and say she was not blessed with a good head of hair. 
I'm not trying to be snarky. Really? But it's, no, it's so thin on the ends. Yeah, I don't know why she true. keeps it so long. And I'm like, oh, just just a trim, trim it. But she might be going for that. Yes. Oh, who is it? There's got to be somebody. I don't know. You've put me on the spot now. Well, there's the chick from um, Broad City with the curly hair. But see, oh, I think, yeah. I think but hers is naturally curly, but I think people are trying to look like hers. And that's the thing. I mean, her, I like her hair, you know, but because it, it's her hair and it doesn't look, but it's just, it's just this, it's the, it's not even the curl pattern so much as it is this layer of frizz. Well, like you, you can, know what? I'm going to take a controversial stand here. Oh, goodness. And I'm going to say that I don't like curly bangs. Oh, oh, I don't either. I feel well, and because that girl from Broad City has curly bangs, like that I feel is like true. you have to make a choice. Like if you're gonna cut bangs, they have to be straight, and but then you can't have straight bangs and curly hair. This is my life story, by the way, everyone. This oh, is I know what I but deal I don't, with every day. I don't like that permed bangs look at all. Not a fan. I don't either. I'm and sorry I will not- if you have naturally curly hair, but I just feel like then you should keep it all one length. I know one person in my real life that has curly hair and curly bangs, and it actually looks great. And another person, I think celebrity-wise, I love Natasha Leon's hair, her red curls, and she has the kind of cur- curly bangs too. She rocks it. I think there's a cer- there's certain people that can rock it, but yeah. very few people can rock it. And it's like my life story because that's why I have to dry my hair and then like, you know, wave it out because I refuse to wear my hair naturally, its own natural crazy wave with my bangs. Yes. Because if you straighten them, it just looks silly to have straight bangs and then crazy hair. And then nobody, nobody wants to see my bangs when they dry on their own. (laughs) There's like calyx. They're going every which direction. It's like a ram's horn on both sides. Yes. It is not good. Mine is like the McDonald's arches, like just going in either direction, (laughs) like a loop on either side. Totally. <laughs> yes. But so, I will say that I, mean, I did. I the reason I feel strongly about the straight bangs with curly hair is I rocked that for about two years in high oh. school. Oh, girl. Straight girl, bangs, did, curly hair mm, behind it. But did you rat your bangs a little bit? Well, I did for a long time. This was this was when I was moving on. So oh, I would stop ratting. I, I was I like trying a more goth look. <laughs> Oh, of course. Yeah. Yes. Yes. <laughs> so I was growing my perm out and I wanted it all to be flat and straight and I wanted like the um Betty Page bangs. Oh, yes. But I still had a yes. perm. So, mm. real good mm. look. Yeah. I want to see that photo too. Oh boy. I'm going to have to dredge. We're going to have to dredge up some photos. We're going to have to. It's going to be good. <sighs> all right. Well, what do you have for your two thumbs up this week? Okay. Well, my first thing I have is um, was talked about specifically at the Facebook community group, and it's my favorite eyeshadow palette. Yes, by Beauty Counter, which I'm going to go ahead and say right now that there's some things about Beauty Counter I really like, and there's some products I really don't like. Yeah, but this their eyeshadows are incomparable, like incomparable, 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 whatever word that is. They are amazing. I have not tried any other clean eyeshadow that has as much pigment that blends as well as these little palettes. And there's a particular one called Romantic, which I, by the way, have all of them, of course. 
but the romantic one is like super neutral. So if you're warm, you could wear it. If you're cool, you can wear it. They say in the description, it's pinks and purples, which I do not agree with. Hmm. It's like neutral browns. There are some with a little bit of pink, a little bit of plum. This is the best eye palette ever, 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 ever. I think there's nine colors in it. And it's fantastic. It get, there's like a, a couple little light ones for all over the lid. They have a really pretty light tan that you can put in your crease. I mean, they're very wearable. There's nothing that's like outlandish or too much because I don't wear a lot of eyeshadow because I don't have a lot of I don't have a lot of um, eye real estate eyelid real estate up there. So yeah, love it. Okay, I'm gonna have to try that because you know uh, the last time I tried Beauty Counter eyeshadow was several years ago, and you've said they've reformulated. Oh. I hated oh, yeah. their eyeshadow. They were horrible. So those eyeshadows were horrible. They're like totally different now. They are. I am not kidding you. Of every single brand I've used in Green Beauty, nothing compares. And do to these you eyeshadows. use it for eyeliner too? I do. And you do. there is a yes, there is a color in this romantic that's a very very deep brownish plum, kind of a plummy color that is so pretty on the lash line. Interesting. So well, speaking of, this is not one of my thumbs up. Doesn't count. But speaking of green beauty eyeshadow, I did find one I really like, and it's Alima Pure. Have you tried that oh, one? Oh, yes. I do like Alima Pures as well. Yes. yes. And they come in um, like refills so that you can yes. kind of put them in a palette. Yes. Um, but that's that's the only green beauty one that I have tried and really liked. But I need, I need to buy some new beauty counter because I know it's I... way better now. I don't know. I love it. I tell everyone to buy that one. They have they've got a lot of other palettes. I mean, if you're looking for one that's super warm, they have a really warm one with like gold and browns and things. But this one I find just goes it can go either way. You know, it's just not too cool, not too warm. Which and you is use cool, all so. the colors in it? Yeah, there's there's one in the middle that I don't the one in the very middle is like a sparkly one. It's mm. kind of supposed to be the fun one yeah. with big chunks party of one. glitter in it. Yeah. It's the party one. It's the party one. I do not use that one because it's just like <laughs> glitter fallout. But all the rest, there's a couple of matte, there's a couple with some sheen, but none of them have like, you know, particles that fall out on your face except for that weird party one in the middle. Got don't it. use the weird party one in the middle. <laughs> Maybe so, on a night yes. out. Maybe a special night out. Oh, I tried it. I tried it on a holiday party and then it was just all over. I was like, yeah. this is disaster. I had to wash and start over. Yeah. And that is no fun. Glitter does that. Glitter does that. Um, all right. So that's my number one. My number two is, okay, there is this reversible faux leather tote they sell at Nordstrom. Okay. They have sold this thing for years. Um, it's vegan. It's faux leather, but it looks so expensive and one side's black and the other side's that really pretty dark tan. Yes. So that's one. Or they have one that's like the dark tan and the other side is like a camel tan. Mm. So a lighter tan. Mm-hmm. That the material is like slightly pebbled. Like I love the look of yeah. leather when it's slightly textured. Yes. Um, it has over 1,500 reviews on Nordstrom. It's $49. $49. It's big enough to carry a laptop. Oh, like wow. you can put all your stuff in it. This is the best tote ever. Like it's just if you want an inexpensive tote. Yeah. It does not, you know, lots of vegan totes, you know, the Look faux fake. leather, you're like, yeah. This one is so great. I Ooh. love this tote so much. And I love that you can switch it. 
I personally like the one that's the light tan. I'm just a tan person. So I like yeah. the one that's like the camel and the dark tan. Ooh, that's but they do nice. have one that's black. That sounds like it would be very, very useful. It's totally useful just for like, you know, work bag, yeah. computer bag, whatever. So you guys need to check it out. We'll link to it, of course, on selfiepodcast.com. Well, I probably need one because I have a leather, real leather tote. I actually have two different leather totes in that same shape and size. And both of them have gotten like water stains from like yes. an open water bottle in the bottom of my purse. Mm-hmm. And it, you can't get it out. No, it's girl. It's like it's ruined. Can't. It's over. Goodbye. Ruined. Goodbye. Yeah. Mm-hmm. What about you? What do you got? Well, mine are both food. I'm not really sure what that says about me. Um, <laughs> the first is um, this new, new to me anyway, brand of seaweed snacks, which my kids really like seaweed snacks. You know what I'm talking about? Like the little um, papery. I'm looking at your list right here. And I'm telling you that these ones you're about to talk about are on our subscribe and save. We get them every two weeks. Oh, how funny. Oh, my gosh. So obsessed. I had- I had never had them before, but they have really fun flavors. Have you tried the coconut mm-hmm. one? I haven't tried the coconut one. She just likes the um, – is there like a teriyaki one or a – There's a sriracha. Kind of sriracha. Maybe it's a sriracha one. They're they're great. They're 100 calories. They, they're they in a like kind of formed um, case. I don't know what you call it, like so that they don't fall apart. But they're perfect yeah, like, like they're school in school snacks. Oh, Yeah. My problem is Malou will eat three in a day if I don't Same. watch her. Same. She she just wants to eat all of them. Yes. I'm like, I don't think it's good to eat that much seaweed in one day, sweetheart. No, my kids are the same way. It's so frustrating because they're like, buy us the good snacks. And I'm like, when I do that, you eat them all in one day. So Exactly. That's why we have apples and carrots. <laughs> apples and carrots, guys. Enjoy yourself. We Go ha- crazy. We even have a rule in my family. The rule is one thing out of a package a day. You know. Oh, I love that rule. And I tell my kids that rule because you taught me that rule, but they, they lie to me. I oh, leave the too. room and they get another one. Mine too. And then they there's like dumb about the lying. Like I'll walk down and I'll be like, there's three trail mix wrappings <laughs> together right here. One of you ate all three. I know one of you oh, yeah. ate all three. Yep. That sounds like, so I familiar. I only had one. Dude, you're the only person here. Oh, gosh. I know. And it, like throw them away. I'm like, you, totally. you're getting busted because you left them on the living room table, which you should not be eating them on the living room in the first place. Ugh. Ugh. Okay. My second thumbs up is a smoothie. Um, I don't know. what, Like a throw in, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so my kids like are very anti-protein powder in smoothies. Like they feel like yes. it tastes bad. Um, so this is – it's from Live Fit and it's a superfoods antioxidant fruit and fiber blend. But – it has like no flavor. It's very Ooh. neutral. It adds protein. It adds vitamins. Um, it has a little turmeric in it. So it's this really nice blend that you can throw into smoothies that your kids actually will not notice and then not want to have the smoothie. That's a really good idea. Yeah, it's a good one. I like it. I don't think. Is it, are they like an in individual packets or is it just no, like one No, it's like a big. Um, okay, good. It's a, like a big uh, like a pouch kind of thing. Thank you. you. Like, I don't know why I could not think of the word pouch. Yes, it's in a pouch. pouch. Yep. That's oh, it. ooh, I'm gonna check that out for my smoothies, which I haven't been making lately because I really hate cleaning blenders. I know. Same. Why? I know. What blender do you why? use? Uh, uh, Vitamix. You do. You know. You know what? I had a Vitamix forever and ever and ever. It was before they made the ones that could fit under counters. So it's yes. like the really tall one. Yes. 
And then just because I am who I am yeah. after 10 years, I'm like, I'm, I'm just going to go ahead and buy the new one because mm-hmm. it's shorter and it's going to, it's wider, but it does not blend as well. The, the, the wider base at the bottom is, it, I don't know, it just, it's like the stuff can't get into the like spinning whatever as well when it's narrower at the bottom. So now I'm mad because I gave my other one away. Oh, that stinks. Well, I have a Vitamix, but I actually find I am using, I got one of those ninjas where um, you actually make the smoothie in the cup you're going to drink it out of. Have you seen okay. those? That's amazing. No, what? Say this again and I'm writing this down. Yeah. This so, should be your thumbs up. <laughs> I know this isn't, but I'll put it in the show notes anyway. Let me make okay. sure that I'm saying the right name. Um, yeah, it's a ninja. And so um, the way that it works is you've got a you've got a glass, right, that you're going to drink your smoothie out of, and it's a big glass. And then uh-huh. you screw um, the, the blender part onto the glass, and then you flip it upside down, almost like at like a milkshake shop. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yes. You, so you flip it upside down and then it blends it and then that's the cup you drink it out of. And so I have like four or five of the cups around the house so everyone could make a smoothie at the same time and then you're only washing that out. So it, it comes with its own cups or you put it – it fits on any cup? No, no, their own cups for their sure. Their own cups. Their own okay. cups screw onto the blade. So okay, the, gotcha. The blade actually becomes a cap. And there's something also I feel like about the way that you invert it. It just, I don't know. It's its not like the Vitamix, like it can't, you know how the Vitamix can like emulsify things? Right, like it, it can do anything. Yeah, it can't do that. But for smoothies, it's perfectly fine. It can do ice, it can do frozen things. And then, you know, and then the, the glasses... Um, you can buy all kinds of attachments for it. Like you can buy um, kind of like a coffee lid thing that goes over it so you can drink your smoothie on the go. You can buy it in stainless steel. So I have one of those. Oh, it's nice. But I the like Ninja that. itself is like 70 bucks. I might do that because that's just the thing. I don't drink the smoothies usually. It's yep. just my kids. Well, my kids, they want theirs. They just like different stuff in theirs yeah. than I do. And it's such a big mess. There's just, it's just like the big old Vitamix that I have to pull out. And that would be such, that'd be so much better. I have a feeling if you bought yourself one of these ninjas, you'd find that you use it all the time. Okay. That's going to be, I think that's going to be a purchase for sure. Because then I can even make my own little stuff. Oh, yeah. It it makes it very easy to make different, different smoothies and you're not washing in between because you just rinse the the cap part with the blades. You just kind of rinse it off. Like easy peasy. And it's super, super easy to rinse. Okay. Sold. Yeah, you're welcome. Today's episode is sponsored by BetterHelp Online Counseling. BetterHelp connects people who are looking for therapy with professional therapists by video, phone, chat, or even text messaging. Whatever works for you. As you know, we are huge advocates of therapy, and BetterHelp provides counseling in a safe, private, and convenient setting. It's so easy. From the comfort of your home, even while you're out for a walk, their counselors specialize in a multitude of mental health needs, including depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, trauma, sleep, anger, and so much more. 
As with all professional counselors, your sessions are 100% confidential. BetterHelp is available worldwide and they work with 3,000 licensed therapists across the nation. They are offering Selfie listeners 10% off your first month with the discount code SELFIE. If you've been pursuing therapy or trying to see a therapist, but you're having a hard time getting into the office for whatever reason, this is a great tool for you. Go to betterhelp.com selfie. Fill out the questionnaire and get matched with a professional therapist in as little as a day. That's betterhelp.com selfie for 10% off your first month of secure, convenient, affordable therapy. Hey guys, well, I am going to be chatting for the next few minutes with Heather Avis. Heather is an author. She wrote a new book called Scoot Over and Make Some Room. She's also a popular speaker, podcaster. She has a widely popular Instagram account. Um, Her family's story has been covered by many outlets. Um, She is a mom to three children, two of whom are adopted and have Down syndrome. She lives in Southern California, and I had the chance to meet Heather actually on a trip to the Middle East. Um, So I am excited to be chatting with her today. Well, hey, Heather. Thanks so much for joining us. Hey, Kristen. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Well, it is fun to reconnect with you. I was trying to think of when you and I first met, and I believe it was on a trip to Israel. I think it was on a bus with 25 women in Israel. (laughs) (laughs) It was. It was like the real world. (laughs) <laughs> yes, exactly. That was a fun, that was a good trip. That was it fun. It was. That was a great trip. Yeah, very interesting. Um, and we connected because we were both adoptive moms. Yep, this is true. And we both live in Southern California. And we both live in SoCal. I feel like we had some mutual friends there we too. We do. Yeah, yeah. We certainly do. Yeah. So for our listeners who don't know your family makeup, um, tell us about your kids. Yes. So I have three kids. They are currently 11, 8, and 5. Oh my gosh. Um, I cannot believe that. I can't either. (laughs) Freaking me out. Um, And they all three are adopted. All three born in Southern California, which is where I'm from. And my oldest has Down syndrome. My middle daughter is African-American and Guatemalan. And my husband and I are Caucasian. My oldest daughter is Caucasian. My youngest son is five years old, has Down syndrome. He's also Caucasian. So we have a variety of differences and needs in our home, in our family. You do. And, you know, I feel like as happens for many people who, um, especially for white people who maybe adopt outside their race or outside their ability, um, this has sort of spurred you into some advocacy, yeah, sort of, sort of being the understatement. Um, yeah, <laughs> I I talk about this in my new book, but I I've discovered, in my opinion, I think the choice to not be an advocate is a privilege that people don't even realize they have. I think and you're people right. People who are in a minority group, or those of us who are raising those children, for me as an adoptive mom or we are in relationships with people that we realize a bunch of injustices are being done to, it's no longer an option to advocate. Mm -hmm. You just advocate. Absolutely. Um, And so, yes, as soon as I brought my oldest daughter, Mason, into my life and realized how the world still sees her as less valuable, and then, you know, bringing a daughter into my life who's African-American and Guatemalan and how the world treats her and sees her, and then my son also having Down syndrome, it was no no longer an option for me to, to choose to not advocate for them. Yeah, absolutely. What, you know, what, can you tell me some of like maybe the critical moments with both, um, you know, your oldest and then your middle child where you, where you kind of had that moment of clarity of like, oh, they, they are really facing injustice in their life. 
Yeah, definitely. I think with my oldest daughter, Mason, um, be, there was a lot, there were a lot of layers with her adoption and she had a congenital heart defect, this incurable lung disease. So she had all these issues, like literally we're fighting for her to stay alive. Um, so that's kind of a whirlwind in the beginning there where down syndrome was almost like a back burner thing. And then she's a baby. That's what I always tell new families of a baby with down syndrome. A baby with down syndrome is a baby and, right. and it's like having a baby and there's health issues, but the world treats them like a baby. But then we step as she gets older, we're stepping into schools and to churches and to dance classes and spaces where she's not necessarily welcomed as is. It's like, you can be here fully included or mainstreamed or whatever the word might be. If you can act more like Mm -hmm. everybody else, you know, Mm -hmm. otherwise we have a separate special place for you. Right. Um, and she doesn't live in a separate special world. So she's not going to be in a separate special place, you know, like she's going to be so nor should she have to nor should she have to. Right. And so it's been, um, I mean, the schools are like a real obvious setting once we started preschool and kindergarten and saying, Hey, you know, she actually, it's a civil right for her to go to school with her peers, Mm -hmm. but the expectation is she'll go to the special classroom on the campus and we're saying, no, that's not going to happen. So there's not like a one moment that I realized, Oh, this Mm -hmm. is an injustice to her. It was kind of an unfolding. Mm-hmm. And then I feel like with my middle daughter, um, I went to, I was a part of a group called InterVarsity in college. Mm-hmm. And InterVarsity um, does a lot of educating on racial issues. And so I felt like I had a little bit of a an education, like a little bit of a foundation. Um, and my background is I grew up in a predominantly white city, very small town. Um, and so I didn't have a lot of exposure to different ethnic groups. So then, but I felt like it was important. So even before my middle daughter came around, I, my older daughter is Armenian. And so we like had lots of different Armenian music and books and none of our, we had, didn't have any dolls who were white. Like we had diversity in our shows we watched and the books we read and all that kind of stuff. And then my daughter came into our life and it was like, okay, it's really, really important for her to have people around her who look like her. Um, and so that put, pushed us into being super intentional in the communities that we were a part of. Mm -hmm. And then as we became immersed more so in the African-American community in terms of like creating, building relationships and doing life with people, then the blinders were taken off because they're speaking for themselves. Whereas my daughter was still real little, you know? Right. Mm -hmm. And so then it was like, okay, this is the reality that people of color are dealing with in our society. Um, This will be my daughter's reality as she gets older and steps outside of our front door. So again, not like a one moment, it was an unfolding of um, learning from people who are different than me as I stepped into those spaces. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the ways that, you know, you sort of creatively stepped into advocacy was on Instagram. Mm Mm-hmm. Isn't that funny? Yeah. Talk (laughs) about that. Um, Yeah. I started an Instagram account years ago, maybe a year after Instagram came out. And it was called at the time, Macy Makes My Day. Um, And it was a picture a day of our daughter who has Down syndrome. Kind of in our our goal was to normalize, I'm using air quotes, living with a child who has Down syndrome, raising a child who has Down syndrome. So it was just like, this is what we do every day. Um, And then as it, and it just kind of grew. It happened very outside of my doing and, and it got pretty big. And so then I now have this account where... Um, I use it, I see it for what it is for the platform. It is to be able to really speak truth and advocacy into the lives of the people who follow along. 
Yeah. Yeah. So I consider myself a narrative shifter. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that my kids are all born into a narrative that is not working in their favor and therefore it's not working in anyone's favor. And so we need to shift that narrative and, and social media has been a major tool for that. Absolutely. And your Instagram account is wildly popular, not just among Down syndrome parents, but you know, you have tons of followers who maybe don't even have a family member with Down syndrome, but they just appreciate, you know, what you're advocating for in terms of normalization Definitely. And representation. We talk a lot about representation is super important and, you know, challenging, like we'll, we'll do paid advertised posts because that's a thing on Instagram these days that we <laughs> prefer to take advantage of. Totally. Because <laughs> we don't know how much longer that's going to be around. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but at the same time, anytime someone like gives us a little pushback, like, you know, don't use your platform to advertise. I'm like, but you have to understand that this company is choosing to represent my kids who are underrepresented for all brands. So this is like a win-win here for us, you know, so kind of putting that conversation out there. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, you, um, your first book was called The Lucky Few, and you talked about that journey through adoption. And I think I have had the chance to tell you this before, but my 12-year-old has read it three times. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and it is literally her favorite book. Like, oh, if you I asked her, that. what's your favorite book? She would say The Lucky Few. Get out of town. Yeah. That's she amazing. loved it. She has very strong intentions of adopting children with Down syndrome. So, Oh, my gosh. I love her. <laughs> <laughs> Your inspiration is hitting very close to home for me. I love it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, she really loved that book. And I mean, I just think it's amazing how, you know, you are such an example of how just telling your story is inspiring mm. people to maybe think outside of the box or th- or think with a more justice mind. Yeah, I think that storytelling is a powerful tool that, that we don't take advantage of enough, like as people, we being all the people. And I think people get intimidated that their story, they compare it to someone else's and therefore it doesn't feel as important or as powerful. But I always tell people, I think everyone has a story that should be told and should be heard. Um, and that it's just a really powerful tool because it connects you in a way that, um, that a lot of other, I don't other, I don't have a word here. It just is, it's a connector telling a story and, it connects humanity in a really sweet, sacred way. And then it changes narratives and it changes people's ideas about something that they didn't know about before. Um, and can really has the power to build bridges between people groups, I think. Absolutely. Well, one of the things you've said is that the hardest conversation you ever stepped into is conversations around race. Talk to me about that. Yes. Well, and I've actually followed you a lot on this, um, this topic. You've done a good job of everything you put out in the world because you are a white mom raising children of color. Um, so I think it's the hardest conversation because there's not a quick, easy answer. Mm-hmm. Um, and it requires so much digging and so much work and self-reflection and, um, admitting things that are hard to admit. And then it's like at the end of all of that hard stuff, it's not like, well, the next step is this is going to be so easy and nice and neat. Right it's so hard and it's so personal and it Mm -hmm. goes back. It's so deeply seated. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, like, so going back historically, there's just the layers are thick and heavy and so many. Yeah. And I am a white person talking about it. So I, no matter how much I try to get blinders off, they are there. 
Absolutely. And I think, oh, I'm seeing this clearly. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, like the privileges that have just been allotted to me because of my whiteness, I can't see it clearly. Right. Um, and so it feels like, you know, one step forward, two steps back constantly. And it's hard. It's really hard. Yeah. Well, let's let's dive into that concept of white privilege for a minute, because I know we're two white people talking about race. <laughs> so, you know, that is um, that is certainly a thing that we're both going to be grappling with. And for someone who's listening and maybe like, listen, I don't get this whole privilege thing. I've had hard times. I grew up poor. Um, you know, I don't think anyone gets any special treatment. Um, how would you help that person maybe have a look at at racial privilege as being perhaps different than economic privilege? Oh, gosh. So I think I always say to people, if your knee-jerk reaction is defensiveness in this conversation, then that is a clue that you actually just need to listen and learn some more. Sure. Um, that there, you need to be listening to the podcasts that are rubbing you the wrong way and try to be a learner. Like if you don't have access to being in relationships and genuine friendships with people of color, then you need to be following them on Instagram. You need to be reading their books. You need to be watching the movies so that you can try to have a glimpse of understanding into the stories um, and the reality that people of color are putting into the world. So mm-hmm. it's hard to even like give advice to that person who's feeling defensive because it see, it feels like there's not a space for them for listening and learning. Mm-hmm. And so that's like step one, just sit back and listen and learn. Yeah. And the more, the more you don't want to, the more necessary <laughs> it is <laughs> to do so. Um, and then it, the, the race thing is just really systemic, meaning yeah. that it's embedded in our systems in a way that no matter what I do as a white person, I will always have privileges because of my whiteness. Mm-hmm. And no matter what people of color do, they will always have disadvantages because of their color of their skin, because mm-hmm. of the systems in which we live. So that's a hard thing to grasp when you think, well, I'm not racist. Like I have have people of color in my life. I have never done these things as a white right. person. It's like, no, that, that could all be true, but you're mm-hmm. benefiting from a system in place no matter what. That's right. And, I, and you got to recognize it. Like yep. you got to recognize it. That's step one for sure. Absolutely. And yet this is very difficult for white people yes. to grapple with. There, it, it does bring up a lot of defensiveness for people. It brings up a lot of, um, you know, I think that a lot of white people want to believe the lie that we're, we're all given an equal shot. Right. And, and that's where it's like, then you got to go back and read some history books. Because right. as soon as you pick up those history books, then – there's no way you can say that, (laughs) you know, like there's just no possible way that you can look at the history of slavery and think that black people and white people started out the same. And, you know, like in 2019 that this black person and this white person have had the same starting point. It's not possible. Absolutely. And, and, and even digging further, you know, when you look at even things that have happened in the last 100 years, I mean, I was teaching a class on race and diversity. And there was a man in my class who described growing up on segregated buses, Mm. you know, living Mm -hmm. alive today. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I I think people want to go, well, slavery was a long time ago. Well, Jim Crow wasn't. Jim Crow was our grandparents. Yep. And that legacy, if you don't think that's affecting people today, I don't, I don't know what to say. Right. And I mean, with slavery, it wasn't like slavery ended and then everything was justified and black people were given an equitable space in the world. It's like, no, it was slavery 
And then it was Jim Crow, you know, right. like then it, like it wasn't, mm-hmm. oh yeah, and this redlining is And exactly. yes, many, exactly. many active ways that uh, black people were left out of the privileges. Yeah. So many ways. Yeah. yeah so it, it is really, it actually is really naive to think that none of that history affects us today. Of yeah. course it does. You know, and these wrongs haven't been righted mm-hmm. and, and people's perspectives are that haven't necessarily changed even it's, it's, there's some generational stuff there too you know it's hard it's a hard this is why it's a hard conversation it is it's it is a hard conversation and it's a hard tension to sit in but it's so important it's so important it's so Mm -hmm. important to sit in the tension definitely yeah well what advice would you have for people who are listening who you know maybe they want to be more active advocates but they're not really sure where to start like in terms of race or just in advocacy i would say in general you know in terms of anything Um, I think you start with who's around you. You start with your sphere of influence Mm -hmm. and it's super important to not compare that to someone else's sphere of influence. So like with the Down syndrome community, I will, I will have conversations with moms who have kids with Down syndrome, like, but you've got all these people listening and yeah, that's true, but that's not going to help out our bigger cause. If you're just looking at what I have and what you don't have, look at what you do have. So everybody has somebody sitting behind them, you know, like every, everybody can turn around and look behind you and see who's back there. Right. Um, like who are you blocking the way for? Mm. And that's the whole point of this book, right? Like who, who are you taking up too much space? Where are you taking up too much space? Who can you scoot over for and make space for? Right. Um, so I would just say, say, start where you are. Like if it's one person, if it's just your direct family members, if it's your school, wherever you're at, there's somebody around you who you could be advocating for yep. and people who need to hear it. Absolutely. And I think that that's important too to understand that, you know, it's it's not about like, well, then, you know, I have to go out and then advocate specifically for people with Down syndrome or specifically for the African-American community. Every person is uniquely situated, you know, in in a space where they can help a marginal marginalized people, but it might differ from person to person. Totally. And from community to community, you know, it might be someone who lives in a border state, you know, maybe they should be advocating for, you know, immigrants. Um, Right. You know, it's like looking around and figuring out like, I just, I love, I love the verbiage you're using on like, who can I scoot over and make room for? Yeah. Yeah. And I think like, there's not one formula for it. People will ask Mm -hmm. me often, like, what are the things that we can do? to make space for people with Down syndrome or people of color in our lives. And there's so many layers, there's so many different pieces to it. Like, well, if you live in middle America in a town of a hundred people, I mean, you're kind of limited, you know, to those hundred people. So you can't, there's not one formula, but I think the one thing that is a commonality is that you have to do something, right? You just complacency doesn't going to work here. So step one is be aware of what's around you and who's missing Mm -hmm. and then speak up, speak up about it. Yeah. And I think when you start looking at who's missing and and you start becoming more aware of one people group that's marginalized, your your eyes really open to the intersectionality of others, you know, mm-hmm. of the way that we other so many people in our society. Yeah, it's so, so true. Definitely. Yeah. Um, how about for parents? You know, what advice do you have for parents in terms of talking to their kids about um race or about kids with disabilities and inclusion? Any advice for parents? Yeah, I've found that people are, we're all pretty scared of what we don't know. And if, 
you don't have access to or exposure to certain people groups, then that people group becomes a little bit scary. Um, and so, or makes you nervous because of the unknown. So I think it's important for parents to access what they can. So again, I can't be like, go to your neighborhood school and reach out to the families who have kids with disabilities. Cause maybe your school doesn't have that community. Most likely they do, but it's just hard to give that formula. So, but I would say you can, from the very beginning, like what books are your kids reading? What dolls and toys are they playing with? What shows are you watching? Those are really easy spaces to be super intentional mm-hmm. and to make sure that you're reading, that you have a wide variety of ethnicities as main characters and heroes in your books, um, people with different abilities in your books. So that when your kid, like your little toddler or whatever, does see someone in a wheelchair at the park, you can be like, oh yeah, remember we have this book. We read about that. Or right. you have a doll with a wheelchair or, you know, like you're just normalizing these, these spaces and kids are so great. They're like very accepting and very curious in the best kind of ways. And you give an answer and it's like, oh, okay, cool. Um, I think we all have more issues than our kids do, but it's, we have to start young, you know, like start young with that exposure. And then if you do have access, like if your kids are going to a public school, um, chances are there's a special education classroom at that school with a whole group of people who are being segregated for their differences. Mm. And, and people get like, oh, but how can I, like, how can these kids learn alongside my kid? Like, that's not fair. That's not right to put a kid with a learning disability or cognitive delay in the general ed setting. But like, let's not get caught up with that. Let's get caught, like those things, we can figure that out. Let's first realize that we need to view people who are different than us as fully human, mm-hmm. fully worthy, fully able. And then if that's the case, then they shouldn't be segregated in a special classroom. You know, like they, they should have the same rights as everybody else. So then fight for that. Fight for right. that for your kid, for your neurotypical able-bodied kid, because mm-hmm. they're going to be better off learning alongside someone who's different and talk to the teachers and talk to the administrators and say, hey, why are these kids segregated at the school? I know my kid would be better off learning alongside them. What can we do to make school more inclusive? So that's like a very tangible thing that can happen. Absolutely. Do you think that, um, do you think visibility is, is becoming, is improving? Do, you know, do you think representation is improving? So from my perspective, it is, but I'm very immersed in like the Down syndrome world uh-huh. um, and I'm very aware of it. So there's definitely improvements, but we can be doing so, so, so much better. Yeah. Um, so much better. And there's still, there's still just a bias in all media of like tall, skinny, white, blonde, beautiful that is the best way to be. Absolutely. Um, so we have a long, long way to go, but I also appreciate that a lot of major brands are being intentional in representation and not in a way that's like good for us, you know, cause right. that's also annoying. Cause it's like, yes. no, this, Tokenism. you're not a hero, right? right. <laughs> exactly. You're not a hero here. This right. is how it should be. So there are big brands that are just doing it in a very organic, um, way that that's representing different ethnic groups and different abilities in a way that is honoring, but we have a long way to go. Yeah, we do. We do. Certainly not there yet. (laughs) No, (laughs) Um, but it's nice to see some of those shifts. It's nice to see, you know, um, kids with different abilities being featured in ads that I, I wouldn't have seen when I was a kid. Totally. Yeah, I agree. Well, last question for you, and we have to ask this because this is a podcast about self-care. You're a mom of three, you're a speaker, you're an author. What are your personal self-care tips? So I 
sometimes I actually write about this in my book. I sometimes cringe at the idea of self-care because, and I know this is about, this podcast is about that, but let me explain because I feel like it has become or can become something only for the privileged. Absolutely. And so then it's like, for me where I sit, I'm, I want nothing to do with those kinds of ideas where it's mm-hmm. all of a sudden, this is a, something on my to-do list because I don't have access to, you know, like the finances and the time and the space. And so then I feel like there's this comparison that women do, especially like I have to be able to take care of myself and then it's on the to-do list and then it's a burden. So I, um, and you know, single moms or there's like so many layers to it. So I think of it more as like, um, resting, like finding a space to fill, fill myself, you know, which, yeah. And so that to me looks different in different seasons. Um, I'm in a season right now where I have some extra time during my days I'm choosing to have this extra time and I'm doing yoga Mm -hmm. and that has been a really sweet time of self-care for me. Um, but it's super time consuming too. So I don't know how long, how long that will last. And then there's other days where it's like, I have to, that's helped me to recognize that I just need some space. And sometimes it's just a couple minutes. Absolutely. Depending on what's happening in my home, it might be like, Hey kids, um, here's a pack of gum. I'm going in my room and closing the door or whatever. Like I'm turning a show on for you (laughs) so that I can close the door and take a few deep breaths. Mm -hmm. And those kinds of things I feel like all women have access to like the step back and rest. So for me, it's like a posture of the heart. Like, where is my heart at? Yep. And how to, and maybe sometimes that looks like going out with my girlfriends, my favorite thing, you know, or Mm -hmm. maybe sometimes that looks like, well, I don't really care about getting my nails done, but for some people like that, it looks like that. Um, but that might not be something everyone has access to. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I love that you brought up the privilege of self-care because it's something we talk about a lot and really self-care is, is so much more than, or, and isn't even necessarily adjacent to nails and massages. Right. It's really, as you said, more of a posture of, can I get into nature today? Or can right. I take five minutes, 10 minutes to meditate or focus on my breathing today? Can, you know, are there things I can say no to so that I can say yes to more free time for myself? Totally. Um, Or even recognizing that you need, like, it's okay to need something, right? Like, I think I want to say that to all women. Yeah. That is self-care to say, I have needs and I need a break or I need whatever it is. Yeah. And not feel guilty about that. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I am a single mom. I have four kids. Self-care for me sometimes just looks like going to bed on time. Exactly. (laughs) That's the best I can do. (laughs) And And even then, sometimes I can't. (laughs) <laughs> right. Which is okay, right? Be yeah. gentle with yourself even when you can't. Exactly. Well, Heather, thanks so much for talking to us. Where can people find your book? So Scoot Over Make Some Room is available all where everywhere. Everywhere books are sold online. And then in Barnes and Noble, you know, I'm assuming just wherever books are sold. Yeah. <laughs> And we will certainly link up to it um, on Amazon um, within our show notes as well. And where can people find you on social media? So on Instagram, we are the lucky few official and then luckyfew.com is where every you'll find all the other things. Awesome. Thanks so much, Heather. Thanks, Kristen. This is fun. Thanks for joining us. Continue the self-care conversation with us over at Instagram at, at selfie podcast. 
And make sure to join our uber supportive community that we love on Facebook by searching for Selfie Podcast Community. You can also visit our website to check out the resources we've talked about in each episode at selfiepodcast.com. Make sure to subscribe to Selfie on iTunes so that you can catch up with us next week. Special thanks to Shepherd Audio for providing our music. Take care. Take care.